And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Whoosh. All right, here we go, folks. Welcome. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here. I am the editor at Cyberpunk.com. And uh, we're happy you're here. The live chat is open for those of you who are watching live. If you're not watching live, you can always leave us a comment with your thoughts later. The email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. We read every email. We read every comment. Sometimes we respond. And we are monitoring the situation between uh, Warner Brothers, HBO Max, and everybody else. So we will be discussing that on the H2O podcast coming up Monday night. Salacious Crumbs, we just dropped a new one last night with new Star Wars news. And, of course, we'll be talking about The Mandalorian on the Ranker Pit on Friday. Good Morning Multiverse has a new time on Saturday, 10 a.m. Central. And this Saturday, we've got a new Foreign Bodies as well. So now that I've got all of that out of the way, let me... Adjust that and do that and bring in our guests. Uh, Jen Finelli is here with us uh, today. Hello. How are you? Hello there. Happy to be on. Hello, everybody who's on live. So should I introduce you as Dr. Jen Finelli? Because uh, you are a, you are an actual medical doctor. I am, but you can introduce me however you like. Okay. All <laughs> right. Well, let me, let me start there because, you know... When I hear doctor writing science fiction, of course, my first thought is is Michael Crichton. And, and I don't know if you've ever had any kind of comparisons along the way there, but has has one informed the other or do you de- try to keep those two careers separate? I actually use um, a different last name when I work with my patients so that they won't look me up. So in some ways it's... Um, in some ways, there I try to keep them pretty separate, um, but obviously, science fiction um, is always going to be heavily informed by science, right? And the only science that I really know is biological science. Obviously, a lot of what I write is more science fantasy in some ways, um, kind of out there. But uh, I absolutely I like to include I like to include biological I, I I like to let biological sciences inform what I do, and obviously, it also means that my um, medic- my injuries tend to be a little bit more in some ways um, medically accurate. It, it always annoys me a little bit when I'm watching science fiction or something and um, somebody gets hit through what would obviously be the lung and not make them able to breathe, but they can get up and fight it off just oh, fine. Sure. Anyway, I, I try not to do that. <laughs> well, so um, and I so would it imagine definitely does inform I would I imagine it's probably, it's probably easier to, uh, to do that when you're not in a group, but you know, there's always that one, that one when you're when you're having the watch party and you sit there and you go no no there's no way that they could do that you're you're not that kind of you're not that kind of friend are you 
<laughs> my husband wishes I would keep my mouth shut when we watch shows more often. <laughs> now, I notice a bat logo on your on your shirt there. Are you a comic book fan? So this is um, actually Jason Todd's Red Hood mm. um, logo. <laughs> Not to be that person. Right. <laughs> um, I I really, really like um, Nightwing and Jason Todd and the Robins. I'm a big fan of the Robins. But my favorite comic book series would have to be the Ultimate Spider-Man series. So I imagine you're probably keeping track of all of this uh, casting news that keeps scrambling the internet here for the last couple of days, yes? Actually, I try to keep my head down just into the <laughs> fictional stuff and leave the real world stuff. Let let, right. <laughs> let everyone deal with their real world drama until they make something for me to read. So let me let me ask you that you've got a new book coming out. Let's uh, let's start there. To what can you what what can you tell us about it? What uh, do we do we have a release date yet? I'm I'm hearing April May sometime possibly. Um. So the release date's going to be October. Um, of 2021, but we're going to be sending out uh, ARCs to selected influencers in April and May. Um, it is a, it kind of blends cultural fantasy with hard sci-fi. Um, the main character is a mace-wielding space ninja from a universe that's full of sentient insectoids, purple jungles, and insane electromagnetic fields. A lot of the powers um, in the story are based on um, the underlying theory of how an EEG machine works and kind of extrapolated from there to create um, these people. Uh, Lem is the main character and she solves most problems by hitting harder. She doesn't play by her enemy's rules until um, she's uh, captured by an enemy force that tries to make her choose between um, the things she really believes in and um, the well-being of her family. And the title here is is a little bit of a tongue twister, I'll admit. Neodymium, is that is that right? Did Neodymium Exodus? So people who have worked with um, neodymium or neodymium lasers before, I've heard it said either way. Um, when I was in college, I um, did a little bit of work study with a physics lab where we were trying to use this laser to study. Um, methane in the clouds and my my job was to build an optic parametric oscillator with this laser and it's based on it's from the neodymium or neodymium crystal bottom line you can pronounce it however you would like (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know because i've heard it both ways so the title comes from i guess a central element in the story i'm assuming is this the beginning of a of an arc or is this a one-shot book it's the beginning of a series of five actually uh, and um, is, the, is, uh, it, is it all planned out? Or are you flying by the seat of your pants here? It is all planned out. Um, I, I like to do a little bit of combination plotting and pantsing. Um, one of my, my, my mentor actually in the SFWA, James Beeman, um, currently one of the directors at large, um, always encourages me to try to use, to let the characters breathe on their own a little bit instead of kind of forcing them to go where I want them to go. So I do try to leave a little bit open for that, um, but the general arcs are pretty planned out because it's very difficult to create a very large universe and have have five books that are going to be coherent across multiple POVs if I don't have some kind of planning. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of authors use uh, spreadsheets. Uh, there are authors that use the three ring binder notebooks. 
What's your preferred method for keeping track of all of your world building and how deep does it go? I have, I have a huge black trunk that's so heavy. Um, it takes two people to lift it full of notebooks. And then on my computer, I've maxed out my Google Drive of, of with planning and documents and things like that. Um, a lot of, lot of RTF files. So yeah, there's there's a lot. Uh, now, some of the stories that you've written, uh, you've kind of been all over the map genre-wise. I, I see, you know, rom-com and comic stuff. Uh, is there is there a preference for a particular type of story that you like to tell? It just, I want to tell this kind of story, but the setting will change? Or are you just right now kind of dabbling to see what fits best is in terms of your style and and your approach to writing so my first um ever published work was um a horror short which obviously is very different from you know the rom-com movie that's coming out next year um <laughs> and a lot of the things that i wrote i wrote because i actually hated that genre <laughs> um i'm fueled by hatred <laughs> sometimes and because I, I wanted because I, I wanted to answer something that I had seen or read um, in that genre. So um, I don't like I, uh, there's certain things that I find shallow about a lot of rom-coms. And so I wanted to answer that with a rom-com. Um, I don't like sparkly vampires. So I wrote, you know, a, one of the one of my most controversial podcasts was a vampire podcast um, that I that I wrote that was published by the Untold podcast. Um, and, uh, the, the genre that I really, really enjoy writing actually, um, is space opera. I, this particular series that's about to come out is probably the thing I'm, I've, I've been working on it for over 10 years. Um, in its first iteration, the book was, the first book was 500,000 words <laughs> and it got rejected oh over and over again because it was 500,000 <laughs> words and no one can read five. Hundred thousand words. Um, so this is what I love. I love space opera and I love science fiction. But um, I I will write anything when there's when something comes up. You know, it, some people um, it, like I I don't think I'm going to be able to live long enough to write all the stories I would like to write. Honestly, so it's it's not even so much dabbling as there's just stories and stories and stories and they want to get out. Well, and and speaking as the old man with the lawn, you seem a little young to be fueled by hate. So uh, that's that's hopefully that hopefully that works out for you. But hopefully it's not the only thing that drives you. Uh, and you're right; it's not the it's not the only thing. Um, so one of the reasons I look so young is I'm, I'm mixed Asian, um, but I am old enough that I finished medical school. And actually, um, I'm also a sexual assault medical forensic examiner and saw a lot of. Um, and so I've seen a lot of really horrible things, um, a lot of deaths and other kinds of things like that, where um, some a horrible thing happened to somebody and there's not any not any justice for it. Um, right. And obviously that can be frustrating. A lot of dead babies um, pulled a guy out of a burning car one time. Um, so I've had a lot of adventures and there's a lot of an upside to that. The downside to that is um, sometimes there's a lot of ongoing trauma. But uh, the hate thing is more of a joke. I, I, <laughs> I really do. There's. There are so many things and people to love in this world. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that, that's a good call, though. You're right. <laughs> yes. um, okay, so how did you get started 
uh, writing in the first place because you're you're doing all of this medical stuff and and my sister's a nurse so I know how much time that takes that is that is fairly intensive in terms of how much school and lots of homework and all the labs and the clinicals and then the internships you know, all these different things how did you get started in writing it, was this just kind of an outlet for you to blow off steam and relax and kind of decompress from from the the medicine side of things? Or is this something you really have always wanted to do? So so I, I wrote my first story, um, which was actually this, uh, the, the early version of this story when I was nine years old. Um, actually, no, that was the third Third, I started writing when I was nine and it was what I always loved to do and I always did that. But um, uh, when I was 13, I went to Paraguay for the first time, uh, which is where I am hoping to establish an indigent clinic for people who don't have medical care. And I was really struck by how much need there was. Um, and as a teenager growing up in the US with, with so much, I felt so unhappy that these people who were, you know, these other kids who were just like me had nothing, didn't have access to, you know, even basic healthcare. Um, and although the situation in Paraguay has changed a lot now, um, the there that that like from the time I was 13 is when I decided I wanted to go to medical school. So actually, the writing started first, but I felt like um, throughout my teen years and then through my 20s, um, I couldn't write about heroes and sit up in my house writing while there's people suffering, you know, who need help. Um, and so that they really, they really ended up informing each other. I, I picked up the, the medical school achievement really as, um, as a way to be able to kind of live out some of the stuff that I want to write and to actually be able to, 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 to not let my writing be a hypocrisy. Um, sure. So I don't know if that answers the question, but um, I actually got my first pro publication when I was in, medical school um, be, because they've always gone, they've gone hand in hand kind of like that. Um, it, I hope that answers the question. It, it does. And, and has, uh, has the medical side of things informed process a little bit? I mean, you start off, you know, I, I started off writing when I was uh, a long time ago and you evolve. Your talent evolve. You, you know your your talent grows. Your skill sets evolve. Did the 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 academic medical side of things alter or impact how you approach a story in terms of you know the amount of research, the structure of a story? Or I'm you know I'm going to do an outline. I'm going to do a rough draft. I'm going to do a first draft. You know those kind of things. Did did one change the other at all? I think the biggest way, um, strangely enough, the biggest way that medicine informed my writing um, is in my dialogue, because I think um, until <laughs> until you've seen enough, I, I think my biggest problem as a writer always was um, that I didn't have a lot of experience with the with the real world, and I actually didn't start making getting publications until I had had enough bad stuff happen to me <laughs> that the things that I wrote actually were more realistic and the way people talked to each other and the things that happened to each other, to people and that, you know, their, their emotions. Um, when you're doing medicine, um, especially when you're doing hospital work, um, 
so and and then I'm also um, I was a in addition to being a military sexual assault medical forensic examiner I was a battalion surgeon for a little bit which isn't like a general surgeon it's a it's it's what Alfred was when he was a when he was Alfred Batman's um, Batman's Butler was when he was <laughs> right um, it's like like a field surgeon so um, when you're doing medicine, everyone else's worst day becomes your everyday, right? Somebody's day that they're getting terrible news about a cancer diagnosis or somebody's day that, you know, somebody assaulted them the night before, you know, this is like their life changing day. And this is, this becomes your everyday. That really changed my writing um, in in a lot of ways. Uh, The, the second, I just finished the second, um, the final draft for the second book in this series. And there was one scene that was completely different written now after some things that happened to me um, in Korea last year, completely different based on um, like this, this character doesn't have any of the same experiences that I do, but his emotions as he's following like, and his emotional arc and how he talks about it and how he thinks about it thoroughly influenced by the things that I saw um, in Korea. So I I think it makes my writing a lot more, um, realistic in in some ways, hopefully emotionally, because once you see enough people on their worst day, it's easier to write, you know, the character in their in their worst day or at their lowest point, because pe- everyone handles grief and suffering so differently. Right. So it's yeah. <laughs> so did, uh, I'm I'm hearing battalion surgeon. So so you served you served in the military then. I'm almost out of the military. It's almost um, out. well, we'll see. We'll see what's uh, we'll see what's going to happen over the next couple of months. But um, yeah, I was the battalion surgeon for 215 um, for about a year in uh, Korea um, with my my other my patient last name my last name mm. that I use for my patient. Um, and uh, yeah, I I guess that's. I'm not going to say much more. Okay, much more no, than that. that's um, that's that's fine. Yeah, we don't want to we don't want to uh, compromise any military secrets or anything like that. So. <laughs> I'm not important enough to have secrets. <laughs> Everybody is important enough to somebody. So let me let me ask you this though about the military. Did that because you're getting into space opera, and whenever anybody says space opera, the first thing that anybody thinks of is Star Trek, mm-hmm. and it's a you know, Starfleet is a paramilitary operation. It's kind of military, kind of not. Structurally, are we looking at some sort of a military aspect in your books because this is this grand sweeping thing? It's very much military sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there are two large military forces going at it. Um, one of them wanting to unify various different planets um, to create a kind of peaceful uniformity um, among all people groups and all species. Um, and the other one wanting to maintain, um, you know, as much diversity in and opinion and difference as possible um, and maintaining a lot of different independent planets as well as a lot of different um, kind of diverse ways of being and thinking. Um, so yeah, <laughs> the, some of, that's another thing that changed a lot over the past couple of years. Um, because I grew up in a family um, where my idea of what the military was like was informed by um, what I saw on TV or what I heard from my dad. Um, it's a little bit different now. Um, my 
you know, my experiences, I don't want to do any stolen valor here, right? Because my experiences um, as, as a medical officer are much, much more limited than um, the experiences of the soldiers that I serve, right? The real soldiers and the real heroes are the sure. enlisted soldiers, um, the 11 Bravos, the 11 Charlies who are going out and actually, you know, the, the, they're the real, the real, the real, the real people. <laughs> um, but taking care of them and learning their experiences very much informed and seeing the abuses, the not abuses. Um, I'm located in Fort Hood. Um, seeing a lot of the different trends and things definitely influenced um, how I write, how I write military and how I write imaginary military, right? Like how I would like to think of a military. So, uh, so is, is this one between Star Trek and Starship Troopers, where are you falling on that spectrum there with, with yours? Is this, a, I, is this, is this, are we skewering the, the military here or are you propping them up and, <laughs> and holding them up saying, this is, this is not a bad thing? <laughs> no, um, I, I, I think that I would say, I would say that the comments, the comments in the book, like military is really more of a background. So I'm not really making a comment on the military. Um, it's more like the world in which things happen and the systems in which things occur um, are kind of a kind of play a background to it. I'm not making a, a comment specifically on it. This is also so far removed from our reality. Sure. This is, you know, some other, um, which I know a lot of times, obviously that kind of, that can help protect um, comments that are made, you know, about our reality. But the social comments being made more have to do with um, diversity and um, belief and the, you know, right to be a certain way or not to be a certain way. Um, and are kind of more focused on that than, um, than there's, there's not really any kind of particular comment on the military. Um, in the second book, there's a couple little snide things that are in there. But um, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not. They're skewering the military or saying, "Yay, let's all you know bow down and and, and praise the uniform." Sure. Um, because I think I think, like with most things um, and most systems, there's good and bad about everything. So I try to. I I, can't, I tend to be neutral on a lot of things. That's generally, I think, a, a smart approach to take. Uh, now we do have a couple of comments here in the in the chat from Sci-Fi Snob saying. Star Trek is totally a military force. Starfleet, I'm, I, I, I have my quibbles about that. But he also <laughs> says, and I, and I would tend to agree with this: a soldier is a soldier. Military truck driver can get just as killed as an infantryman. So to to go back to your point about what you do not as important, I would I, I would argue that as long as you're wearing the uniform, you're doing an important job. So not I I wouldn't want to diminish what you've done. Uh, in in service to our country, I want to thank you for that. But let me let me go back to to the diversity thing for a minute because that word is very much one of those uh, hot button. oopsie words, <laughs> hot button words, and it's and it's something that when certain when certain segments of society, and especially you look at what's going on in social media these days. Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes a, a, a football that gets kicked around and, and you, you have to be a right type of fill in the blank in order to write this type of story, fill in the blank. Do you have any concerns about that kind of thing? Because we've seen with the cancel cult coming in and saying, 
you're not allowed to play in this sandbox. Do you have any concerns about about that sort of thing? So um, if, if people want to play identity politics with me, I am um, a mixed race child of immigrants whose uh, parents were told not to get married because they were two different races. But I prefer not to play the identity politics and focus instead on ideas. Um, I will win every time playing identity <laughs> politics, but I, I don't think that that's um, I don't think that's a healthy way to communicate and get ideas across. Um, and in th this way, I do try to take um, I, I try to look at diversity not all, not um, so just to kind of make things pretty pretty simple. Um, this is a future also where racial diversity is no longer an issue. Everybody, everybody is like all humans are, you know, like integrated and mixed race. And, and that's, that's, you know, they've dealt with that. Right. Um, so, so this is uh, far, far, far down in the future. <laughs> yes. So, you know, far, far away in, in the galaxy, long, long forward. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> but, um, instead you, I choose you should to trademark that. <laughs> far far Dash away in a galaxy long forward i i kind of like that there's your slogan for the for the mix but um i choose to make my comments instead um more with different you know this is a this is a world where uh, or really a, a universe where there's a lot of different species and so they're um, that are sentient right or sapient actually um since i think based on the latin i think sapient is a better term for what i'm trying to communicate um but uh, so their struggles for cultural diversity tend to and ethnic diversity tend to be based more around some pretty different or unique biology. Um, you have some sapient insectoid species um, who are very migratory and therefore they don't obey any kind of zoning laws, any kind of um, any kind of tax laws. And then you have other kind of um, people groups like humans tend to tend to build hives the way that ants and bees and things do. Um, and so, of course, we want our own, you know, like we like our government systems. We like things to be organized this way. Um, you have a very isolated um, kind of tribes of space lemurs and things like this. And so the big challenge uh, for this universe is what is allowed? How much, you know, what, what to what point, um, which what the, what the grown Imperium wants to do is make everyone fall under one uniform moral code and, um, and, and, you know, for not allow nomads to run around doing whatever they want. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, control and even everything out. They want to find the perfect culture and enforce that on everybody. What the Frelsi, um, basically Freedom Force, wants to do um, is allow everybody to have their own independent culture, um, you know, with this diversity of, of, of culture that really comes out of their biology. Um, and so that's kind of where the, the two end up clashing. Um, and obviously it gets way more detailed. There's contested zones and uncontested zones and space treaties and all these, all these different things. But um, so ultimately the comment on diversity is really almost a question more, um, it's really looking almost more at cultural and ethnic diversity. Um, and again, that also serves kind of as a background to what's in a lot of ways, a very character driven story about um, a, you know, a young woman trying to find not just her place in a galaxy, but, um, choosing between the things that matter to her um, and her own identity and the safety of the people that she loves. 
I, it, I don't know if that answered the question. No, it does. Time. It does. It sounds very much like you're leaning more into uh, the the notion that ideas uh, for the characters uh, are are your priority here in terms of just you know instead of well, I have to have a black character. I have to have a gay character. I have to have the 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 one with the purple hair. I have to have you know those. It doesn't sound. It sounds more like you're doing uh, similar to what uh, David Weber does with the Honor Harrington books. You know, because I've talked to him about you know, the various different political mixtures that are in his stories. Because he has a number of different characters, different points of view, different political theories and thoughts. And it sounds like your approach is. Uh, similar to that in that you're giving your characters perspectives and points of view that are going to clash and they're driven by their upbringing and their culture rather than identity fill in the blank just on a superficial surface level. I hope so. I hope that that's, that's true. I'm definitely not, I'm definitely trying to not do any kind of, um, check in, you know, check the box. Um, to, to me, I've, so I have always, I, I sat down the other day and looked over my stuff and realized that almost all of my protagonists, I think, like, I think that I've ever written, almost all of my protagonists um, are men or women of color or something like that. Um, and like, and, it, but it was never like intentional, like, oh, I'm going to check the box in this way, because it's always been like, I, you know, growing up, um, the, growing up the way I grew up as a child of immigrants, it was like, everybody can be a hero. Everybody is a hero. So just people that were my heroes around me informed how I wrote, um, kind of more natural and not this like kind of very artificial, like, let's, let's make this boop. And and <laughs> I, I, boop is probably not a very very technical term. Boop is um, bur, boop is a is a is a perfectly acceptable technical term. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's fine. But I I don't want I don't want to be preachy, and I also don't want to be um, like treat people like they are like people are lists of check marks. Right. Um. I I want to have fully fleshed characters, and I hope that that's what I've made. Um. We'll see, and I'll, I'll certainly, um, when when April or May rolls around, I'll certainly uh, send you an ARC and let you decide what you think. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, the the idea here, then, you've got the you know the types of the the types of people that you were around influence the kind of stories you know the kind of people that populate your stories. What in terms of stories that you've read? What influences are there? I mean, you're looking at Stephen King, David Weber, Michael Crichton, uh, uh, Anne McCaffrey. Where, where, where do you find yourself gravitating towards in terms of the kinds of things that you like to read that maybe you've kind of synthesized into your own style? Um, so I'm I'm known for being very very introspective um, in the writing which can be a turnoff for people who only like action. Um, and I can definitely say that I got that from reading um, a really old space trilogy that probably no one here has read, um, but it's the Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, That Hideous Strength um, space trilogy, which is highly introspective. Like there are large sections of that. Um, there's a lot of world building and then there's a lot of you know, people thinking mm -hmm. about stuff. 
um, which can be very boring if you if you don't like I, I'm not nearly as introspective as like Paralandra, but um, but I so that that's definitely influenced me a lot. Um, I like I, I I enjoy reading that, um, and and that's kind of what what I've enjoyed. Um, I there was a real there was another really old, and I don't even remember the author's name um, because I and I can't I haven't been able to find it since. But there was this really interesting, and maybe you mightn't because you know so much more about sci-fi than I do probably. Um, so you might know who wrote this, but um, there was this really interesting book that I read as a teenager about a. Um, alien living on earth and he becomes a medical doctor and earthlings have the um have the monopoly on medical science throughout the galaxy but have not been allowed to join this galactic um like republic that all the other planets have joined and are still seen as backwards um and the like twist of the story ends up being that um Again, because there's a secret, there's a secret criteria you have to fill mm -hmm. to join the Republic in addition to providing a useful service. And so the Earthlings believe that their medical science is their useful service and are very jealous of this alien coming and learning medical science on Earth because they feel like um, he's going to take their jobs, basically, um, and keep them from joining. But the twist is actually that the secret criteria um, and the criteria is kept secret to keep people, to keep planets from doing a check in the box thing. But the secret criteria is you have to be open and accepting of diversity and, and not being xenophobic. But it's kept a secret because they don't want people to fake it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know if you know what book that is. I'm not familiar with that. I, that's, it's so old. Reading. It's like a, it, you know, 1970s or something book. Huh. Uh, and it was fascinating because the, the science behind it was interesting. They had this idea of sentient viruses. Um, that, you know, and, and, and the virus being sentient versus not the host not being sentient. They had this, you know, interesting social struggle of this, you know, medical doctor who is experiencing significant discrimination because he's not a human. They had this like galactic implications. That was fascinating. And I have not been able to find it. I, again, I have no idea, you know, I have no idea who wrote it, where it is. Well, we'll <laughs> it was loaned to me one day. <laughs> we will put it out in the in the world and see if anybody has got that. You can leave a comment or send us an email and and see if anybody's uh, if anybody knows uh, what that story is. And yes, yeah, uh, uh, sci-fi snobs. For some people, uh, the 1970s is old. We're just going to have to get used to that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It's old for what the market today is going to think yeah. think of when they think. I mean, I'm sure no one else knows about that book. <laughs> it, yeah, and and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't ring a bell for me either. Um, of course, when I was when I was growing up, a lot of a lot of what I was reading was, you know, Dragon Riders of Pern and Star Trek and and that sort of thing. I wasn't very much into the hard science stuff until later. So, it's you know, I I I don't. Uh, I don't doubt that I missed a lot uh, that that I probably need. I've, my catch up list is is long. <laughs> so. Did you read the um, blue? Uh, it was like the Blue Mage series, um, where it, it's where the guy switches back and forth between living in a sci fi world and living in a fantasy world. I've heard of um, it. I haven't read it. That's that's another one that's interesting. 
but uh, what's what's the oldest sci-fi that you've read? And like your your favorite, like the oldest, Ooh. yeah, the oldest one. Uh, I mean, I've you you go back to uh, uh, you know Tolkien and and Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, of course, there's there's. Uh, Jules Verne doesn't count. He's too far back. <laughs> uh, Jules Verne counts. Jules Verne counts. Uh, you know, you've got Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, Dracula. You know, some Edgar Allan Poe in there in the beginning. Um, Tom Swift stories would be in there. So yeah, it's it. I I still need to uh, experience the Lensman series. I need to. I need to get those on the list. I have read, uh, you know, Planet of the Apes and some Conan the Barbarian, you know, Robert E. Howard stuff. It's a good mix for me. It's just not as extensive as I would like, but, you know. One of these days, maybe maybe after I retire, then uh, then I can catch up on some different things. So, so five books in this series. In the meantime, are you noodling on some other ideas? You said you've got all of these different ideas and all of these different things. Short stories, all novels, movies. So, I mean, you've you've done you've done a little bit of all of that. So, um, a big focus of mine right now is really prepping for the stuff that is coming out. Um, I did mention I have a, a film coming out next year um, called that said called I'm having an affair with my wife. It's about a, a married married couple. It's like the pina colada song meets um, meets you've got mail. A married couple get upset at each other. They um, try to seek out affairs online. The affair service matches them up with each other. And so they're they're cheating on each other with each other um, and don't know it. And so it's obviously that makes for some funny hijinks and things like that um, until they kind of have to get serious. Like they catch each other and they get serious and realize like, hey, you know, we're what, what's going on we, we were kind of we're both wrecking each other um because i because we don't get to see enough married people fall in love with each other within the marriage again right um in in film it's all you know these you know gorgeous singles um and i wanted to see this, this again it's like i write the things that i want to see that i i don't see and i wanted to see a movie about a married couple falling in love again and there wasn't one that i liked so i made one um so i'm kind of focused on on helping with those things that you know helping support um the other creators and help helping things get out the door um there's a large comics anthology coming out this um that we're doing as a, like a prom a promotion um, coming out actually in a couple weeks we have a whole bunch of comics creators in the indie indie space um, everyone's put in uh, you know a short story or a short comic uh, about superheroes and that's um, everybody is uh, uh, everybody's also giving doing a giveaway so there's like over five hundred dollars of prizes in um, in this you know anthology um, that readers are going to be able to download for free just kind of as a as a as a you know gift to the world um so right now i'm very focused on, on like kind of supporting some of these marketing efforts of these things in my writing life um i have a a free uh a email sign up place um at bygenfinelli.com and um there's always a little pop-up up there and i actually write um, or send out weekly uh science fiction to my list um, a science fiction or fantasy um sometimes a couple real world stories but basically, every week um, I try to I, I try to send out some you know either flash fiction or a story that's hiding in the archives 
um, to kind of keep kind of keep uh, keep the fans happy. Um, sure. So a lot of what I do is is trying to stay on top of that and then stay on top of uh, writing things for my patrons. Um, so I, I, so a lot of the stories that I write tend to be um, like, there's a, a popular little short story series right now in my email list um, about uh, fighting a mermaid. <laughs> um, and, and kind of uh, there's, there's a character who's trying to find a siren song for their, um, to heal their mother who's dying. Um, and so they have, you know, little fairy tale adventures along the way. Um, so some fairy tale things like that. I have a couple horror stories still sitting in the back burner. Um, and then I have right now another kind of series that um, is coming out and has just dropped. Um, I write for the um, MX uh, podcasting network. I write um, story. It's a series called Death and the Doctor about um, the deaths that I've seen. So, you know, it's real world, not as not as fun and fictional. Uh, and the first season just dropped and uh, of, you know, things that I saw in medical school. And the next season probably um, is going to be maybe summer next year about um, about things uh about another chapter of um, deaths and things like that. Um, so, so I always have something <laughs> going mm-hmm. on, but it'll be in a lot of different, different arenas. Um, and my one big kind of focus right now um, is really working um, with this series. I have short stories coming out for this series as well, um, just to kind of give people something while they wait for um, while they wait for the book to come out, um, and then I'm I'm still doing things in the in the comics space because I have a comic book character who shoots his author. Um, he decides that he's fed up with all the bad things that his author has done to him. Um, he's, you know the typical comic book character tropes sure. like your parents die, your best friend betrays you, your you know your girlfriend is either a woman in the refrigerator or a um, or you know a femme fatale who's out to get you, um, right. and he's he discovers that he's a character and that the reason his life is terrible is because he's a character in the book, um, and so he decides to kill his author, um, and that that book is is you know has been out for a while, becoming hero, but there's still some ongoing um, web comics that I want to do with my artist um, from yeah, Uganda as he continues to to train and develop his skills. His name is Nathan Sagala and he's brilliant. Um, and he and I want to do a collab together now that he's helped me with some of the stuff I've written. Um, I want to kind of help him like donate my writing to some of the, his ideas that he maybe can't put in words, but he's a really beautiful artist. Um, he has an interesting like Ugandan creation story comic he wants to put together. And so that's something that I want to help him with next year. So I don't know if it's kind of, kind of all over, <laughs> kind of all over the place, but um, that's kind of what we're, but those are the projects that I'm focusing on right now. So which um, is which is more challenging for you, writing the really long stuff, the full-length novels, or the shorter flash fiction, short story type of, of stories? That's a good question. Um, it is easy for me to be verbose. However, um, the technical challenges of maintaining characters and plots that don't uh you know simmer off um i i always thought that i was better at writing long fiction 
but I was really good at writing bad long fiction. Um, and it's been actually it's over 10 years working on the same novel series before. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I was, I'm really, really glad that I got picked up by word fire press. Um, as, I mean, it's, it's a big honor. It's Kevin, Kevin you know, Anderson's uh, publishing company. Um, and I definitely wasn't good enough for it when I thought I was good enough for it 15 years ago. You know, sure. I, I was sure that I was great um, and, I, and I wasn't. So I would say actually long fiction is actually more challenging, even though short fiction requires a lot more technical, um, like, like to be nice, it requires a lot more 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 there's a lot more technique jammed into a smaller um into a smaller like space i think my favorite short fiction writer i, I mentioned my mentor um james beeman is, is a really really good short fiction writer or like nathan lee um is a really good short fiction writer in the science fiction space um and both of them just have an uncanny ability to put the right things in the right places and really zoom in and focus on one item at right. a time. And I uh, don't quite have that. I would like to have that. Has it been frustrating for you to work on this giant epic for all of this time and I, I, I want to get it right and, and I can't get it right. And it, it's just not there. It's just something you just keep going back and editing and revising, and massaging and changing and, and cutting and pasting and this back and forth. And it's a, was there ever a time when you sat there and said, I sh I sh I'm never going to get this thing done. There are, um, there's something wrong with my brain <laughs> and it's very hard for me to give up. Um, I had multiple people tell me to give up on this series. Um, at various points in time. And the first, and, and sometimes it was, it was the first book that I ever threw away was the 500,000 word tome that later became 250,000 words and then was thrown away. Um, and I, you know, rewrote from scratch this first, this first book. Um, and I think that was good. So it was good when I got that initial feedback because it was holding me back that I kept trying to edit the same thing instead of just throwing it away and starting over. Right. Um, so, so I, that's actually now a normal part of my process now is I will write a first draft and then I will throw it away and start over and write from scratch. Um, and then when I'm editing, I'll literally have a blank document and the old document and I'll actually write out the whole thing. So this particular first book has been rewritten um, so it was at least 10 times in this version and then maybe 10 times or so in, in the various other versions um, over a very long period of time. So it, it gets, to, it, but I think the one thing that I knew a long time ago was that um, it's going to, it's going to take um, a lot of, you know, rejections before I turn out anything worthwhile anyway. Um, I'm unfortunately don't have the the skill set that some people do where they can just sit down and bam, it's perfect right away. Unfortunately, right. Um, I have to revise a lot. <laughs> and what what insights about yourself uh, do you think that you've uh, learned from that process? Because that starting with a page one rewrite every time you go to revise. 
that's not a process that too many authors will do. They'll they'll do their changes and they'll make their revisions and their edits. But starting basically from scratch, every single time you do a revision, is that you have found the best the best mode for you then is is to do it that way. What does that say about you? So, um, and I guess I should clarify, I do that for the first like 10 drafts. <laughs> the, when I'm at the end, when I'm at the end, I, I read through and I make edits in document. Um, but you know, like like is is normal for a normal sane person. But um, because it, so because I have a tendency to cling to stuff, like I said, I don't give up very easily. I have a tendency to cling to something and not um, not let it go and let it be. Um, be. Because of that is why I actually have to do this. Um, because I have to, if I, if I don't throw things away and, and just like rewrite them, I will keep trying to make this one thing work and I, I just won't let it go. Yeah. Um, the author who wrote Because of Winn-Dixie um, is actually where I got that idea for, for doing it that way because she mentioned that that's how she revises. I was at a talk at a writing conference 10 years ago um, and she, she does it that way and she's won like you know, New, Newberry medals. And so um, I, I started to try it that way because, because of that, because it, it sounded... It sounded like it was something that I needed to do. I have a tendency to not let go of things. That's what that says about me. And so yeah. to force myself to let go of things, um, this is something I do. And then I also have a ton of planning documents. I, you know, I'll text myself ideas or I'll put it, you know, in a, on a towel, on a paper towel and <laughs> the need to type it up into a RTF. Um, and then if I'm struggling to put things together in a coherent way, I will actually tell myself the story like I'm telling it to a baby. Um, in like baby words in one or two pages um, because I, I do have a problem with um, with with plot logic sometimes oh, okay. um, where where if I don't if I don't get things really clear I will miss glaring plot holes um, that that just don't that you know you shouldn't miss um, fortunately I have a, a, some very tough beta readers who are very mean and who <laughs> tear me apart for that so so uh, there has been talk of late and and i've seen it mostly in the comics industry but also in the literary world uh the the complaint the criticism the observation i guess depending on how you want to characterize it people looking at especially now when you have books that are getting the movie and tv deals before they're ever published and you know you see a lot of you know comic books getting adapted and not first time novels and people are sitting there starting to say okay are are you writing the book to tell the story or are you writing the book as your audition for Netflix i mean what's have do you ever sit and think cuz you've got this grand sweeping five novel series that's going to be this big space opera thing have has is it in the back of your mind? Have you thought anything about? Well, this could make a great you know this could make a great miniseries on Amazon or something like that. Or you just focused on writing the book? Oh, I don't think this would make a good miniseries on Amazon because it would be very expensive to film. Um, <laughs> having written, having done screenwriting, um, I, I even though I'm I'm not you know a prolific screenwriter by any. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, 
Um, I am very, very aware that budget considerations make a big deal in when you make in, in making deals. Uh, and this is just too, it, it would be, it would be so expensive. Um, so I don't think that this would do well for that. Um, I have had agents say before that it's very cinematic in um, a lot of the way the scenes are set up. Um, and I think screenwriting has certainly informed my novel writing um, for improving visuals and things like that. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I talked to an animator um, a little bit ago because I, I just loved their animation style. And I thought, you know, what would be cool is it would be really cool to see this even in like an adult animation. But um, that also would be, I mean, it'd be prohibitively expensive. Um, so I, I don't think, I don't know if, if obviously if somebody comes knocking at my door and is like, I want to make a movie, I'm not going to be like, no, go away. I hate you. Um, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not looking for that right now. My, honestly, my comic book book is a lot more suited to that kind of thing. Cause it could be done low budget. Um, there is a giant talking tiger in it. So that would, that throws a little bit of a wrench in, into that, but that can, that could be figured out. That's that's kind of more suited to something like that, but um, just it's just you as a hand puppet. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just talking, you know, space lemurs and and going into space and and talking, you know, insectoid creatures and people, you know, levitating and and doing all these different things is very very difficult to to do out, you know, I think. I, I don't I don't I don't see it happening. Um, okay. it, a, an animation would be cool. Yeah. But I don't know. So uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat asks, if we want to get into your work, what books should we read first? And I guess piggybacking on that question, given that you're all all over in various different genres, what out of what you've done so far do you think best represents your writing just in general? So the easiest way um, to get into my work um, without having to pay anything <laughs> um, is to go to my website by um and get on the email list um, because you'll right away get like three free audiobooks, um, which it'll pop up on a pop-up as you try to leave the page. There'll be a little pop-up um, and there you get, you know, three free audio stories right away um, for getting on that list. Um, if you, I think probably my best, um, obviously my best long form right now um, is the indie comic book and a novel, um, Becoming Hero, the one about the comic book character who shoots his who shoots his author. Um, that's the second little button on that on that page, um, and that that art is done by Annie Chen, um, who's a, this is actually her only sequential art. She's not done any other sequential art since then. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, so that's a good one. That's a good one to pick up. Um, so that's obviously that costs money, but if I know time, things are tough. So if you don't want to pay $4 for a book, um, which I think is reasonable, um, then, you know, I always have free stuff available on my, on my, uh, email list. All right. So, uh, the, the idea here, uh, it's, it's been suggested to take, instead of doing this, the, the movie adaptations, super expensive, do it ultra low budget. So then it becomes a retro cult classic. 
I kind of, I kind of like that idea. Snob, like Rocky Horse. I think Snob's sure. onto something there. Yeah. So uh, there is something to be said. Like Star Star Trek originally wasn't very high budget, right? And I think that a lot of people will agree that the original or older low budget Star Trek was a lot better than these huge high it, budget Star it Trek may, movies. It may surprise was- you that the original Star Trek was considered one of the most expensive. Uh, shows to produce at the time. It's one of the reasons why the network wanted to kill it early because it costs so much because of the sp- because of all of the special effects. Uh, wow. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was something. And and we have Lucille Ball to thank for leaning into it and really investing and saying, "No, nope, this is this has got potential. It's gonna it's gonna go somewhere." So, which was more expensive, the Next Generation or the original Star Trek? Uh, I think comparatively speaking, I mean, if you adjust for dollars, you're probably looking a little bit more expensive with next generation because you've got, uh, uh, from a, from a pay scale type of thing with your, uh, with your ensemble of actors, you don't have, uh, one lead, you've got seven and, and, uh, with Star Trek, you had three and then everybody else. So I, I'd say, just as a guess, comparatively speaking, probably next generation would have been. Um, but you know, you're you're looking at nineteen sixties dollars versus nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties dollars. So it's it's a little tough to to pin that down. But, Maybe Doctor Who is a better example of <laughs> yeah. not super yeah. not super high budget. But yeah. but I mean even comparatively, like even next generation or the original Star Trek compared to the big movies um i i think that people like something a little more simple sometimes so who who knows it could it could it could happen if if someone in the chat is a filmmaker and would like to discuss (laughs) rights i won't shoot you for it well and and you know that goes back to to the idea of story being uh, the the priority because you know like you say the story the story is the thing and and your approach to story is is something that matters a lot but you know if you if you're so focused on how much money you're going to put into the special effects you lose sight of the core of the idea of whatever story you're trying to tell and I think a lot of people look at you know the the prequel trilogy for Star Wars for example as you know is this way to show off all of this new cg technology and the story suffers for it and you know it's a, it's definitely a trade off you've you've got to strike a balance between you know what story you're telling and how you're telling it but you know there's there is something to be said for going retro and and letting us see the wires and and you know the walls kind of shake a little bit on the sets and and that sort of thing. You 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 could you can maybe add something with a little cheese factor there maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jen Finelli, thank you very much for being here today. We're going to wrap this up. The website byjenfinelli.com. She is also on Twitter and uh, she's got a YouTube channel as well that's a little bit more medically inclined. But we will link to all of those in our show notes. And when the book comes out, we will plan to have it in our review queue and see what happens there. Jan, good luck with the book. Thank you very much. I do want to caveat with the YouTube. Um, it is kind of 
uh, there's sci-fi with it, but it's ASMR. Um, so if that bothers you or whispering bothers you, don't go to my YouTube. <laughs> but it's it's a lot of like very soft-spoken, relaxing type stuff. So so don't go there if you don't like that. <laughs> in, in this in this day and age, with 2020 being the way it is, I think soft-spoken, relaxing stuff might be might be just uh, just what the doctor <laughs> ordered, right? <laughs> so thank you so much um jason before um before i leave can i ask um what you think is the most important sound in the world i try to ask this of everybody um that i you know interview with um because i like to hear what you what you have to say about that oh, um the most important sound in the world your child's heartbeat oh that's sweet <laughs> That's a good one. I haven't heard that one actually, surprisingly enough. Yep. Okay. So there we go. All right. That is that's that's a very interesting question too. I, I it's uh, it's interesting that you're in the habit of doing that. That, that. I would like to one day put together a big spreadsheet of that becomes a like an art project or something. Mark Hamill's answer was not very far off from yours, by the way. His was a child's laughter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, cause everyone has, how, I think we explore the world so much with our eyes. Sometimes we forget how important it is for us to explore it with our, our ears open. So thank you for, thank you for indulging yeah. me. No, absolutely. And thank you for, for being here and spending the hour with us, Jen Finelli. And, uh, you can check out her website again by jenfinelli.com and the book Neo. Neo, 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 Medium. <laughs> I'm going to get that wrong again. Neodymium Exodus out next year. And we will have, uh, we will have our review, uh, when that comes out and, and be able to tell everybody about it. And, and we'll have you back on to, to talk about it some more. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed the time with you. Thank you very much. All right. And thanks, everybody, in the chat for being here and, uh, and, and sending your comments. If you have thoughts or if you can identify that book that Jen was talking about, uh, you can leave us a comment or send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. Don't forget, we have a new time for Good Morning Multiverse Saturday. This is our news program. It's now at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. Uh, we've bumped it back an hour. And coming up on Friday, a brand new Ranker Pit. We're discussing the latest episode of The Mandalorian that's going to be on at 8 p.m. Central. And I know the card says second and fourth Friday. Right now we're going every week because there's new episodes every week. And, uh, and we'll be doing that. If you would like a sticker or you want to send us uh, material to review, our mailing address, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And we will add that to the pile. All right, no guests tomorrow. We will be back here to uh, listen to me rant for an hour and uh, see what happens from there. Thanks, everybody, for being here. We do appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to hit the uh, thumbs up on your way out. Feel free to share the link for this video and anything else that you enjoy, you think other people might be interested in. If you are not subscribed, we do invite you to do that. Have your notifications turned on so you know when we put out new content, which we're doing pretty much almost every day here at Sci-Fi For Me TV. Thanks very much for being here. We will be back later. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.